Welcome to Schools on the Front Lines, a new podcast brought to you by EdSource and the Ball Frost Group. I'm your host, Carl Cohn. There is no doubt that California schools are facing the greatest challenges of our lifetime on multiple fronts. But where there's a challenge, there's also opportunity. In each episode of Schools on the Front Lines, I'm talking with leading superintendents and others from around the state about these challenges and how they hope to overcome them. Schools must reopen, but how, when, and in what form? In this, our fourth episode, I'm speaking with Superintendent Socorro Shields of the Sonoma Valley Unified School District. Sonoma Valley Unified is located in the wine country of beautiful Sonoma County in Northern California. As someone who's always worked in urban school systems in huge population centers, I've often wondered what it would be like to head a wine country school system. Socorro, what's that like and what makes Sonoma Valley Unified unique? I think one of the really unique things is there are several areas in our community that are really historically underserved, while there's also a very affluent enclave of people, many who are retirees. There can be a tale of two cities, if you would, right here in Sonoma Valley. And so it makes for interesting services to students and to families. It's a very giving, philanthropic community. And there are some very serious needs of families that need to be met so that they can thrive and be served. So it's it's an interesting difference in a very small area. I think the other thing that's really interesting is that it's actually quite remote and isolated. So while the county is named after Sonoma, we're about an hour on a workday from the county center where so many of the services are. And that's interesting in terms of who we identify with, what we think normal is, like with the public health concerns right now. We're in the middle of three counties and Sonoma County has one perspective, but other counties have different ones. And so that makes understanding kind of what to expect a little different for Sonoma Valley. With all the switching gears and changes going on up and down the state with regard to schools reopening, what have the last two weeks been like for someone like you? It's been a whirlwind, I can say that for sure. I think that for so many of us in leadership positions, and that's probably whether we're teacher leaders or site leaders or district leaders, We've been asking that people think about the impact of schools opening back up for a while. And it seems like there was a lot of attention paid to businesses, which I totally understand. But I think people forget we are also a business of sorts. And with the number of employees we have and the number of students that will be returning across the state, we're a big enterprise to lift. And so thinking about things like testing and tracing and the availability of the health side of the necessary requisites for us opening. I'm glad we're getting the attention uh, necessary for us, and it's a big lift. So I'm welcoming the clarity in the role of the public health offices for us, uh, because that is a lane where we you know, would definitely need support and help. 
So, but it, trying to keep up with it all and trying to make it clear for the people we serve. I think sometimes they think that it's the school side, that we're the chaotic ones. And it's like, uh, it's in the pandemic, everybody's just learning a lot every day. And that changes too. We can't even like put a stake in that position because it might change over time. So I think it's just trying to find where normal is for us so we can build solid plans that people believe in and feel safe about. So as we come back, whatever that is, it's of the highest quality and the highest impact for our students. So there was quite a bit of push for the governor to offer some state guidance. In terms of myself, someone who's been around a long time, I was sort of, be careful what you ask for. So you got the guidance last Friday. Is your decision-making now easier, or has this all raised new questions for you? Well, it's interesting you say that because it is a growing understanding of what does and doesn't come from state-level guidance. So, for example, in the spring when we were waiting for state-level guidance around grading, that actually didn't make things easier. Just as it begins to answer some, then the language people use bring new questions. So I feel as though, and I know many of my colleagues feel as though when we're on these calls, all of a sudden there's new language that we've never heard before that I know everybody's picked up on. Uh, One I think is like small pods of, small pods, what's that? What's that? Where does that come from? And so we learn a little bit more, but then there's new nomenclature brought into the conversation that I think for all of us trying to implement makes consistency hard. And I think what families are looking for, what teachers are looking for, what we were kind of pre-COVID was we had a level of consistency that brought people comfort and from which we could launch. And I think SB 98 is trying to do the same. And I think these conversations are trying to do the same. But That's what we need are some levels of consistencies and some markers and containers for the work so that in general, much of it looks the same across the state. And that's where we're trying to get to. I just came off a call with our county superintendents led by our county office. And I know that's kind of our questions for one another right now are trying to figure out kind of where's normal, where's the middle, what's a generally accepted practice in the space we are in right now. Our U.S. Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, described this spring's distance learning in our public schools as a disaster. If we had her on the line today, what would you say to her about the accuracy of her statement with regard to Sonoma Valley Unified? Unfortunately, I feel across the states, including our district and across the nation, I feel as though there wasn't a clear enough managing of expectations around what this does to a school system. And so I think people can, from afar, can say like, oh, this was disastrous, not understanding what a complex task was being asked of teachers and systems and what a complex organization public school districts are to begin with. So for example, it's a rare thing that we're able to make completely unilateral decisions 
about several things that were key to make in distance learning. So the schedules and all of these other things that changed as we abruptly hit the pandemic. And I think outsiders think, oh, you could have easily dot, 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 fill in the blank. And I think there's a lack of humanity when we forget that teachers themselves, administrators themselves, like every employee themselves was also living through the same pandemic. So all of those anxieties and fears in our personal life, as well as our professional life, clash and, and collide. And I don't know other professions who were expected to do exactly the same thing in pandemic conditions other than public educators. And I think that's still playing out now. And not understanding the differences uh, in instruction and how we organize the day. And I understand the concern of people wanting, quote unquote, a full instructional day. And then we know that students developmentally can't log on to the computer for eight hours a day, that that's not reasonable for a six-year-old. That's not maybe not even reasonable for a 16-year-old. And so how we're defining like what a regular day looks like, I we're still working our way through that. So I would tell Ms. DeVos that when we needed the support of our government agencies to help clear the way for what all this would look like, there was shocking silence about what we should be doing. And had we all been arm in arm figuring this out, that I'm sure it could have looked better. Given the conditions of what we had, I'm amazed by the efforts of educators across my district, across this state, in hobbling something together with no resources, no guidance, and very little support outside of what the district could string together. So I think that educators, as always, rose to conditions that we should not be placed in and did a great job. Do I think we have learned an amazing amount? Yes. Do I feel that what we did was everything that we could have done best for students? And looking back in hindsight now, I definitely see things to improve on. In the moment, I don't know that we saw them. And as soon as we saw them, we tried to adjust. But, you know, that whole thing about armchair quarterbacking and hindsight being twenty twenty. It's easy to see now. It wasn't easy to see in the middle of it. Throughout the spring and summer, as you've been in this tough sledding mode, who have been your go-to partners in terms of helping you to make good decisions? Who do you trust? Why so? I think as our county has brought the superintendents together and the different job-alike groups, I think that's really helpful. And quite frankly, we've had to rely a lot on our legal teams. When we think about best services for special education and what all this means for our collaborative partners and the union and the, and the bargaining units and our collective bargaining agreements, all of that was so thrown into a tailspin that really having legal counsel, who I hope they're also talking to one another again, so there's some normal and some sense of what's going on across the state, I think that has been the most important. And then I think really our teachers and employees who have been trying to figure it out, they both see 
areas we don't necessarily see at the district office in terms of things that are working really well or things that are really a problem and need to be addressed. And I think that our parent and community groups, I'm thankful that they've also pointed out things that weren't working so we could address them. Like communication in this time is so critical and casual communication is gone. Everything is now very planned and very intentional. And the level of detail that parents and students need in the instructional day is really different than how we've done it before when you're on campus. And so thinking about things like the stickiness of the student schedule and the understanding of parents, how to log on and what kind of being a solid supporter of this process looks like. I think those are all critical things that I don't know that we understood what they needed and how what we were trying was working or not. So all of those perspectives, I think, have been critical. And then, of course, trusting immediately their experiences of what worked and what didn't and having the system respond and amplify what worked and try and leave as quickly as possible things that really didn't work, even if well-intended. The governor's guidance opened the door to potential waivers for elementary schools in some counties. How is Sonoma County doing in terms of slowing the spread of the virus? And do you have some hope about waivers for your own elementary schools there? Well, I can say that everybody wants students back. I think everyone also wants it to be as safe as possible. And therein lies the rub right now. And so I think here in Sonoma, our local public health officer has done an amazing job, but we're on the watch list. You know, for over a month and a half, what we've really been concentrating on is hybrid because basically we were told that's how we were going to open. And everybody understands why that's better for children to have them in class and students to be in class. But as staff, rightfully so, were asking very specific questions about safety, you begin to realize, can we do this? <laughs> can we do the testing and tracing, for example, that the governor is talking about? I absolutely believe that's critical. Yet I cannot in good faith right now today, and sometimes you have to say today on the 20th of July at four o'clock-ish in the afternoon, say I understand the capacity of my public health to be able to test the quantity of staff they want tested, and then in a quick turnaround, tell us how staff are, because if that's one of their concerns that they voiced to me frequently, well, how will we know the results? And other than saying, well, public health will let us know, I don't know that level of detail. And I know it's important for all of us to feel safe when we come back in large numbers that this testing and tracing is clear, that it's succinct, that we can trust the timelines. I think that of the personal protective equipment, too. We, for example, when we heard about the temperature taking, I think this is probably a month and a half ago, we ordered a large number of no-contact thermometers, over 200 of them, and they actually got stopped at the border for some reason or another, and they're not being allowed in because they were from China. If we don't have personal protective equipment and we don't have an assurance of access to it, that is a huge safety concern, rightfully so, for all of our employees, because that's part of this 
compact that we're making about safety that not only that we know what personal protective equipment or how to sanitize and when, but we have access to all the materials that allow that to happen. If we've built a plan around availability and these things are out of our control, like we have to trust other public organizations. And I I don't doubt that everybody is trying to do their best. But these are like assurances that our employees and our families, as they decide whether to send families back or not, are resting their decisions on. And that can feel very wobbly at times. Early last month, following the explosive events in Minneapolis and around the country, you wrote a very courageous letter to your school community, opening with a quote from iconic African-American writer James Baldwin. Not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. You went on to say that racism is not just in our past, but woven deeply into the fabric of our institutions, even in Sonoma County and our valley. What kind of reception did your letter get from your community And what do you hope to accomplish by speaking out so candidly? The place where we are as a nation right now feels like an incredible moment of transformation. Many people in our community want there to be justice for everyone that lives here in Sonoma County and, of course, in our state and our nation. And so I think what I was trying to do, uh, what I had hoped to do, is recognize that transformational moment to speak to what is happening in the most honest of terms. If we can't do it now during this Black Lives Matter moment, I'm not sure when we will. Even the... um, At a board meeting, a community member said, can't we say anti-racist instead of equity? I mean, can't we be very forthcoming about what is truly happening? And I think that her courage and that boldness of conversation, again, if, if we can't do it now with the opening and space we have in time, when will we ever do it? And so what I hope happens with this is we do begin to have a conversation about where our blind spots are and have been. So I think in creating space for conversation, in creating space for really reflecting on the decisions we make as a district, as the decisions we make as a community, Sonoma County is generally known as a pretty progressive area. And so are we both socially and politically, I would say. And so are we taking advantage of those opportunities? I know that many of our young people in our schools participated in many of the events calling out what's going on in our nation and here locally. And so I've been able to speak to a couple of our young leaders, and they're really interested in being part of a solution here locally that creates culturally responsive and culturally appropriate teaching and learning and how you normalize who's in the stories you're reading about and the types of people that have, you know, created the nation we live in and even here in our very local area. So I know that there is a passion both from our young people and also our teachers and other educational leaders who want to make sure that we use this moment 
to make us better both as a system, as a district here in Sonoma Valley, but also as public educators that children and families are benefiting from these level of discussions. Finally, you've worked as a leader in local school districts, a county office, a state educational agency. How has this unique experience changed you as a leader? I think what I know now is that we all have very different perspectives and we all see different parts of the elephant using that metaphor about, you know, the elephant and who sees what. There's so many informal conversations that take place around decision making. And there's both formal politicking and negotiating and informal politicking and negotiating and multiple agendas and multiple places. What I hope, what I hope for for our students is that in all of those, we remember to put them first. Because I do think sometimes the further you get from, quote unquote, the schoolhouse, the less you understand the complexity of the organization, the complexity of teaching and learning, even between the teacher and his or her classroom. And some things can be oversimplified. So even, you know, as we talk about the digital divide, and I am thankful that people recognize the truth of this and that it exists. When I hear us talking about the solution in different places, You know, I've heard a philanthropic desire to solve that problem. And I think to myself, is that how we solve prison problems? Is that how, if we recognize a problem, do we wait for philanthropic support? If it's crucial and if it's immediate and it needs to be solved, is that the only way we would seek to solve it is through philanthropic support? And so I know that everybody has the best intentions But what I hope is that the educators in the room are given the respect they deserve to talk about the reality of implementing and carrying out these decisions so that that's built in to the recipe for success. And sometimes I know in haste that doesn't happen, but I feel like we pay for it then because today's solution becomes part of tomorrow's problem. Socorro, thank you for spending some time with us. Your passion and zeal for this work comes through loud and clear. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was Socorro Shields, superintendent of the Sonoma Valley Unified School District. Families in Sonoma County are fortunate to have leaders like her navigating these uncertain times for schools. This has been Schools on the Front Lines, brought to you by EdSource and the Ball Frost Group. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Our opening theme is by Utah. Please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Carl Cohn. Talk to you next week.